Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. I want to preach a difficult topic tonight, one I hope that will be uh, enjoyable uh, and practical and uh, very biblical. The title of the message this evening is this, Christian Dating That Pleases the Lord. A Christian Dating That Pleases the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we continue on with our home series, the Christian home series, I pray that the message would both challenge the single crowd in our church and, Lord, also the parents who are raising children in our church, that we would do this in a way that honors Scripture, that honors Your Word, that honors Your intent, and, Lord, that creates marriages that are built on a foundation of trust and purity. So, Lord, I pray the message tonight would not be me stretching the Scriptures, would not be me imposing a standard I have on others, but, Lord, would be your word standing strong. Lord, may we take it and may we live it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, what would a sermon on Christian dating be without some good old Christian pickup lines? I'm going to give you some Christian pickup lines here. Now, most of these are meant to be corny, but humor me and laugh if you find it even a little bit funny. Okay, all right, here we go. I, by the way, I weeded out a bunch of really bad ones and picked uh, the ones I thought were at least a little bit funny. All right, here's the first one. Um, is it hot in here, or is that just the Holy Spirit burning inside of you? All right. So this is maybe the most common one of them all. So last night I was reading in the book of Numbers and I realized I don't have yours. Y'all never heard that one before? That one's been out a long time. I used that when I was a teenager. It didn't work. Um, I like this one. I didn't believe in predestination until tonight. (laughs) The word says, give drink to those who are thirsty and feed the hungry. How about dinner? You float my ark. Um, How many times do I have to walk around you to make you fall for me? This next one's a little presumptuous. I believe one of my ribs belongs to you. If you have a Catholic background, you'll you'll, uh, uh, appreciate this one. Here we go. Let me sell you in an indulgence because it's a sin to look as good as you do. (laughs) I put the stud in Bible study. There you go. Um, Is it a sin that you stole my heart? 
Is your name faith because you're the substance of everything I've ever hoped for? <laughs> and uh, I saved the best for last. Is this the transfiguration because you are glowing? All right. So uh, you endured those. Um, we live in a fallen, depraved world that is led by sin and sinful impulses. Amen? Is that, is that a fair statement? We live in a world that's led by sin and sinful impulses. Um, chastity is out of style, and one-night stands are the new way to go. Now, I know that's foreign to most of you here. But to those of you that are single, it's not foreign, is it? Not that you're doing it, but you're very well aware of it. Um, Sex sells everything from perfume to to car insurance to hamburgers. Um, There is some sort of sexual tension or sexual act worked into every TV show and movie. That isn't made for kids, or most every TV show or movie that isn't made for kids. And sometimes it's worked into those as well. Sometimes it's worked into shows of kids as well. I was telling my class this morning that about two episodes into Sesame Street, when my kids were little, we were like, no more Sesame Street. The, uh, the, the um, humor meant to go over the kids' heads at the adults, and the sudden subtle hidden message aimed at the little subconsciouses uh, in my home, we weren't going to have it. And we were wa- watching like hawks, and it was disgusting what we were seeing. And this was, this was nine years ago. This was eight years ago. Um, God has commanded that Christians date and marry in a way that is pure and free from sin. So how do you do this in the 21st century? When it's so against the culture. Uh, I want to jump in this evening and look at four distinct thoughts on this topic of Christian dating that pleases the Lord. Now, before I give you point number one, I just want to say the term dating is not in the Bible. The concept of, of the old school courting, um, where it's found in the Bible, it's, it's not... Always wholesome. Now, I'm not going to get into parsing words with anybody here tonight, courting or dating. Um, I think when most people say courting in the Christian sense, they mean the same thing that I mean by dating in the sermon tonight. Um, Careful uh, uh, dating. But I will say this, dating is meant to get you from not knowing the person to being in love with them enough to marry them. Okay, can, can I just say that uh, tonight? Uh, well, let's jump into the outline. I've got a lot of thoughts here, and a lot of what I'm trying to say falls under number one here. Number one is the purpose of dating. The purpose of dating. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2. And we're going to be blunt uh, tonight. That's why we sent the children out. And if you have a child over the uh, sixth grade, I'm hoping by now you have conversed with them about the, the facts of life and their um, uh, they'll, they'll at least be uh, uh, on a mental level of understanding that. First Corinthians 7 verse 2 says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Okay, so uh, uh, you are to avoid fornication 
and fornication is sex outside of marriage. And so if you're not going to have sex outside of marriage, then you need to get married. You need to get married and husbands need to have a wife and wives need to have husbands. And then it's all good. It all fits. It all works. Uh, let me read for you a couple more verses here. Genesis chapter two, verse 24 says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. So the, the cleaving together, the becoming one flesh, First Corinthians 6 tells us, is the act of marriage. It is the act of intimacy within the bedroom of a marriage. That is the, uh, that is the man leaving father and mother and cleaving, becoming with his wife, knowing his wife, and the two of them are made one flesh. So uh, let me read you another verse here. Proverbs 18.22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I could read that verse the other way around. Whoso findeth a husband findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And so the idea here is that dating gets us from not knowing the other person to a place where we know them well enough to where we are ready to commit to a long-term marriage with them, with them. So, uh, the t- and I said this before, but the term dating is not found in the Bible, but marriage Marriage was created by God and dating is uh, is the prequel to marriage. Now, the process of meeting someone and getting to know them for the purpose of marriage is dating. Let me give you a very, very good philosophical definition of marriage. Very, very good philosophical definition of marriage. If you're taking notes and you've got children or you're you're uh, in the dating stage, I would really encourage you to write this down. Uh, uh, jot it down in your phone. Jot it down on paper. Put it down somewhere, okay? Dating is the vehicle that transports two people to the destination of marriage. Dating is the vehicle that transports two people to the destination of marriage. Now, that's important because I'm going to reference back to the vehicle or the car of dating many, many times tonight. And so remember that. Dating, the purpose of dating is to get two people from being single into a marriage that pleases and honors the Lord. So what is the purpose of dating? The purpose of dating is not just to go out and have fun. Now, if you're um, the type... If you're in a stage of life right now, you're a young adult, you're in a stage of life right now where you want to go out with someone and just have a good time and go out with them once or twice and move on without becoming emotionally attached, there's nothing sinful about that. Nothing sinful about that. But long-term dating is meant to get us ready for marriage. So, number one, the purpose of dating. Number two, notice the problems of our culture. The problems of our culture. Now, I'm going to get into biblical, uh, the biblical model here in a minute, but I want you to understand fully what it is that we're up against. Uh, those of us here that are parents and our children are every day inching a step closer to the dating world. Uh, every day your child wakes up, they're one day closer. The calendar is ticking that much closer to it. Uh, I want you to understand just how bad it is out there. Let me give you uh, three philosophies here that the world has about uh, uh, dating and uh, boy-girl relationships and uh, the whole concept of marriage. Letter A, notice, lust over love. Lust over love. Now, let me quickly distinguish them for you here. Lust says, what can I get from you that pleases me? What can I get from you that pleases me? Love says, what can I get for you 
What can I get for you? There is lust and love in marriage, by the way, as well. A husband that's always wanting uh, 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 from his wife, whether uh, whatever that might be, that's lust in marriage. You're not loving your wife. You're lusting after your wife. And I, and, and I mean that, in, and, and you expect her to, to, to carry her load around the house while you're not carrying your load. Uh, love says, what can I get for you? Lust says, what can I get from you? Lust takes. It takes. Love gives. If you are in a dating relationship and a boy looks at you and says, uh, if you loved me, then you would sleep with me. To that, I would say, no, he lusts after you. He does not love you. If he loved you, he would wait. If he loved you, he would wait. He doesn't love you. Or at least his love isn't pure toward you. There is a strong amount of lust mixed into whatever affection he has garnered up for you. And I would say this, that that lust is leading the charge and that lust is greater than his love. By the way, anymore, it's not just the guy that's making the advances. Let me give you a couple more thoughts on lust and love here, then I'll share an illustration with you. Lust fulfills the flesh. Lust fulfills the flesh. Love pleases and emulates God. That's the difference between lust and love. So when you get into a relationship, the goal is to grow in love, is to fall in love and learn how to love each other, not lust after each other. That is so fundamental that not only to those of you in here that are dating or 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 could be dating at some point soon that you uh, understand that distinction and you make that distinction and you live that distinction but to you your parents here you've got to begin to teach that to your children that they need to learn to love others not just lust for themselves and grow their heart in that love um first corinthians well before i read the verse here uh, i have a friend of mine who is in his 30s and he is single. He's a Christian man. And uh, he, he shared with me, he said, uh, no, nowhere near here, doesn't, doesn't live around here, have any affiliation with this church. But he said to me, he said, it is so hard to find a Christian girl who wants to date the right way. He said, if by the third date I have not tried to make some sort of physical move on her, she gets impatient and moves on. These are girls who call themselves Christians. Now, these are girls that are filled with lust. It used to be the guy who was all after the physical aspect of going after the girl. That's not the case anymore. It's just as much the other direction. Look down with me at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. The Bible says, What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two shall be one flesh. Now let's drop our cultural understanding. Let's jump back into the day of, of, of Corinth. The day of, uh, of which this was written. Um, if you were fooling around prior to marriage in this way, you kept it quiet. You didn't talk about it. It, it wasn't an open thing. And so for you to be with a loose girl... It was assumed that if she was willing to sleep with you outside of marriage, that she was a harlot, a harlot, and that there's this lust over love. There's this, and by joining together with her, you are performing an act of marriage where two become 
one flesh. And the Bible says that is sin, and that is the model of today. There's no denying that. Not with apps out there like Tinder, where you swipe one way for someone you don't like and the other way for someone you do. And the majority of people that use the Tinder app use it so that they can have a one-night hookup. You don't know what that means. It means you're seeking for a, for a sexual partner for one night, then you part ways. Now, that might seem forward and strange to you, but that is the, that is the young crowd culture. That is the norm of today, and that is just accepted as part of society. And I say it is wrong, it is sinful, and it is disgusting, but it is the world in which we live in. Letter B, notice now over later. Now over later. Look down at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 2. It says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication. You see those words? Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband to avoid fornication. Now, um, uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 needs to be mentioned in the message somewhere. Here's a great place for it. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Uh, a whoremonger is someone who is 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 uh, is is. Out of control with their sexual desires. We know what an adulterer is. It's a married person who seeks for uh, that pleasure outside of the confines of marriage. And the Bible says that God is going to judge that person. In, in the society in which we live, there is no attempt to avoid fornication. There's no attempt to do that. Instead, it is a race to it. I wonder how many of you here have ever had your teenage daughter picked on because she hadn't scored by the time she was 16 or 17. I wonder how many of you here have ever had a teenager feel pressured because they still had their virginity intact by the time they turned 18. And now they're looked down upon. I I remember as a young man who was engaged, I was out playing basketball on a street court one night and uh, in, a, in a really rough part of town, I used to do that all the time. If my knees would let me, I'd still go out and do that kind of thing. But I was out playing ball, and it came up uh, a conversation and a shoot around that I was engaged. And uh, somehow they asked me some uh, inappropriate question, and I made it clear to them I still have my purity intact. And I became the laughing mockery of the court the rest of the night. They coined nicknames for me that were smearing me because my purity was intact. And it is a let's do it now instead of wait culture. Now, again, I'm not saying that any of this applies to any of you tonight. I sure hope it doesn't. But I'm trying to help you understand the culture around you in the world that we're raising our children. And what I'm afraid of is that we live inside our little Christian bubble and we don't really know how bad it is out there. We send our kids off to school and we let our kids go out and play in the neighborhood and we let them have uh, 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 friends online uh, through social media. And uh, we think that we have this naivety about us that uh, uh, it's not not all that bad out there. What I'm describing to you tonight is the norm in the world which we live in. 
And if you don't step up and protect them, it, they're going to be uh, uh, these doctrines, these teachings, this sin is going to infiltrate their hearts and minds while they're living in your home and you are oblivious to all of it. To them, to the world around us, instantaneous Gratification is the word. Let me give you one more uh, philosophy here of the world. And this is maybe over always. Maybe over always. Look down with me at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 and 4. It says there, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife under her husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now, um, we're not going to parse these verses, but from a, a an airplane or from a helicopter looking down at this, there's one word that jumps out to me from these verses, and it is the word commitment. Commitment. This is a man and woman who are totally committed to each other. This is a man and woman who have made themselves vulnerable to the other one. I do not own this body. I do not have control over this body. That gal right there does. And she doesn't have control over her body. I'm supposed to have control of that. That does not mean that I get to use her. She gets to use me uh, uh, to take advantage of the other. No, I am to steward and protect and, and, and guard and watch over and nourish and make sure she's taken care of. And she's supposed to do the same thing for me. That comes down to the word commitment. And that word commitment is greatly lacking in our society and in our culture today. It is greatly missing. In fact, notice the terms there in the verses. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, over and over again, use the terms husband and wife. This is saying that the couple needs to make the commitment and get married. Now, I'll say this here. We would fix a whole lot of societal problems if we could just put marital intimacy back inside of marriage. In fact, I'll say this. Most of society's problems would either go away or become very, very, very little if we could make it the cultural norm that you waited until you were married to be intimate with the other gender. Do you know why we're dealing with all of the LGBT world? Because we allowed uh, uh, being together prior to marriage to be the norm. And that came on the fringe. And eventually that has shoved its way into the norm. And now something new is sitting on the fringe. And the longer we continue to allow these things on the fringe into the norm, the more weird things get. I, I wish, a part, big part of me wishes we could just go back a couple of hundred years and have a time where purity was the norm. Purity was the norm, and you did wait. Now, uh, let me share some stats with you here tonight. And, um, I, you know, uh, statistics are um, uh, subjective to the source. If the source is wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, but I did do some digging uh, uh, here. And uh, the, this is from the Census Bureau. So take, take it from where it's coming from, okay? In 1996... It was reported in the Census Bureau that 2.9 million couples in America lived together. 2.9 million couples in 1996 lived together. By 2012, that same census question drew out, so this is, uh, let's see here, 16 years later, drew out that 7.8 million couples were now cohabitating, living together outside of marriage. Um, 
that's also the norm. There are some TVs, uh, commercials on TV that just make my stomach churn. There's a, a commercial where they're talking about uh, uh, when you get your first apartment and the two of you move in together. It's just said right in the commercial. And I'm left to shake my head and say, why are we talking about that like that's a good thing? That same advertiser has another commercial uh, where the girl is taking the guy's stuff and throwing it out the apartment window and trying to hit him in the head and they're glorifying breakup. And I'm going, well, maybe if you guys hadn't moved in together, you wouldn't have broken up. Maybe if you hadn't just tried each other out like you're some kind of a used car, uh, uh, the, the throwing the cable box at his head wouldn't have happened. Now... There's another study out that shows that between 2006 and 2010, nearly half of heterosexual women, 48%, ages 15 to 44, said they were not married to their spouse or partner when they first lived with them. So 48% of of heterosexual women say that they lived together prior to marriage between 2006 and 2010. Um, that's up from 43% in 2002 and 34% in 1995. So you can see that the further we climb away from God as a culture, the more we're beginning to move in together and live together uh, prior to marriage. Just 23% of women in the new report said they were married when they first lived with their partner. That's down from 30% in 2002 and 39% in 1995. So in 1995, people were waiting uh, to, to, um, uh, uh, to, to get married first at a rate of of 39% in 1995. And to me, that number's low, but it's up compared to 23% in 2010. Now, nearly 75% of women ages 30 or younger said they'll, they've lived with a partner outside of marriage. That's known as cohabitating at some point in their lives. That's compared to 70% in 2002 and 62% in 1995. The report says the trend reflects that the fact that marriage is increasingly becoming optional in adult life now. And this is uh, uh, stated by a professor of sociology at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Now, what this point, uh, uh, what, what this points to is a lack of commitment. It's a lack of commitment. Um, we can pretend like we're married, we can live like we're married, but without actually being married. And we can enjoy what God created for marriage without the commitment to get married. You, you know the number one thing that runs people away from this church um, uh, that I have seen over the last several months and since I've come here? We'll have young couples come and visit. How many of you notice that young couples don't always stick around very long? Now, I'm not going to call any names out here. This, isn't, this does not apply to all the couples that are here. But a lot of couples will come and visit, and then uh, uh, I'll talk with them, and they'll ask about membership. And I'll say to them, you've got to get married before you can join the church. And I say, are you willing, are you ready to make, you're already living together, are you ready to make that commitment? And they say, deer in the headlights, right? Yes. Okay, let's set up a premarital counseling session and we can start down that path. Funny enough, they never come back to church again. You never see them again. They want to live in sin, but they don't want the commitment. They're scared 
of commitment. And look, if uh, if you women would tell that man, hey, you want to be with me? You want to know me in an intimate way? Then marry me first. Uh, I'm not giving that to you. You've got to marry me first. If we could get back to that as a culture, I'm telling you, uh, men would be much, much more faithful to God, much, much more faithful to women. Uh, there would be a whole lot less heartbreak in homes. Uh, uh, single men in their 30s, they don't go run a little league in the city. They don't attend church. That just doesn't happen. Now, it happens some, but it happens very little. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of 30-something-year-old men that are single just sitting in a pew somewhere. That happens somewhat. We've got Brother John over here. But that doesn't happen very much. Right? That's not a high demographic in the church. And the reason for that is, is they're out living the party life. They don't have time for God in church. That's not what they're interested in because they're not married. Now, uh, uh, let me share this with you as well. What effect does it have to cohabitate prior to marriage? The old adage is, well, if I can try out the other person, well, then I'll know if we're compatible. My uncle gave me a ride uh, to the airport down in Louisiana one time. I was a college student. I was actually dating Angela. And, um, and, and he was trying to undo in an hour and a half car ride everything that my father had taught me. Uh, growing up, and he said to her, he said to me, he said, look, how are you going to know how well she's going to take care of you in those private areas if you don't try that out first? And I looked at him and I said, you are broken. You are broken. And, I'm, and my uncle's been uh, married and divorced a couple of times now. And I said, how, did, how well did that work out for you? And he didn't like that very much. I almost got dropped off on the side of the road. Um, Here's a statistic for you, and this is not a debated statistic. This is fact. Couples that live together prior to marriage have a 33% higher rate of divorce than those that don't. You want to fool around with each other prior to marriage? You've just increased the likelihood that you'll get a divorce by 33%. Go ahead and fool around. Go ahead. Go ahead and try each other out. Go ahead and take the car for a ride around the block. Go ahead and kick the old tires and see how that works. I'm telling you, you're going to regret it one day. And I'm going to get into the why here in a minute. Maybe God knew what he was doing when he designed the dating and marriage process. Maybe we ought to follow it. All right. Number one, the purpose of dating. Number two, the problems of our culture. Number three, let's jump into the meat of the message here and notice some biblical principles for dating. Some biblical principles for dating. I don't think I've stepped on anybody's toes real hard tonight, and it's not my intention to, to uh, hurt anybody's feelings, but we do want to get biblical. Amen? The Bible is what matters. Okay, in order to date in a way that pleases the Lord in the 21st century, you must first understand what you're up against. So if you allow your peers or TV or the movies or even other so-called Christians to dictate what's right uh, and wrong, uh, you're going to find it very difficult to make it to the wedding altar with your purity intact. What you've got to do is determine that you're going to build upon a biblical foundation in your dating that will allow your marriage to stand the test of time. So you've got to decide you're going to do it the Bible way. It doesn't matter what it looks like to the culture. It doesn't matter how weird it looks to the culture. It doesn't matter how off it is to the culture. It doesn't matter if you look like a weirdo Christian to the culture. You've got to do it the Bible way. Now, again, I'm not going to try to impose any of my standards on you tonight. I'm just going to try to get you to understand the Bible. Let me give you three biblical principles here. Letter A, be pure. 
be pure. All right? Look down with me at 1 Corinthians 6, 18. I'm going to let the Bible do the preaching here. Look here. Flee fornication. Can we read those two words out loud together? Here we go. Flee fornication. Again, everybody. Flee fornication. The rest of the verse says, Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, and he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Um, that says flee fornication. It doesn't say flirt with fornication. Right? It doesn't say cozy up to fornication. It doesn't say walk the line up to but not cross into fornication. It says flee fornication. Um, you have those instances in your life as a child that make a profound impact on you, right? When I was an eighth grader, no, I was eighth, eighth or ninth grader, I had a teacher, uh, Mr. Stephen Talley was his name. And he was going over this verse. And, you know, all of us junior high boys are like, <laughs> you read the word fornication in class. That's hilarious. You know, we're being junior high boys. And, um, and he, he walked over to a desk and he said, what does that word flee mean? And we all just kind of sat there. And he put his hand on the desk. He said, let's pretend that this desk is fornication. He said, I'm going to show you what it means to flee. He took off running. He ran down the aisle. He ran around the desk. He opened the door and he ran down the hallway. And he came running back in and he said, flee means to get as far away from it as you can. Doesn't mean to stand right next to it. It doesn't mean to see how close you can get to it without touching it. It means get away. Get away. Now that's what the Bible has to say about that. You're to, you're to not walk up right to it and flirt with it and cozy up to it and see how close you can get to it without touching it. You're to get as far away from it as you can. So with that said, let me, uh, let me ask you some questions tonight. All right. We're going to get right down to the nitty gritty of dating. Fornication is the physical act of sex outside of the bonds of marriage. Let me define it that way very clear. Fornication is the physical act of sex outside of the bonds of marriage. So let me ask you a question tonight. All right, I want you to interact with me here. Is holding hands fornication? No. All right? Anybody holding hands with their wife right now? You're safe. Okay? That is not sinful. When I walk through the store with my wife, I hold her hand. On the way to and from church, I hold my wife's hand. And I do that in front of my kids. There's nothing wrong, uh, especially between a married couple, of holding hands. So holding hands is not fornication. Let me ask you this question. Is it fleeing or is it flirting with fornication? I'm talking about an unmarried couple. Is it fleeing or is it flirting? Um, I would say it's probably flirting. Probably. I'm not going to take a strong stance on that. But I'd say it's probably flirting. Look down at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. It says there, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, let me, uh, let me help you with this. Back in chapter 6, verse 18, Paul said, 
from God, it is a sin to commit fornication. Then he came down in chapter 7 and verse 1 and said, it's good that a man not even touch a woman. So the sin is fornication. The standard that keeps me from committing the sin is that I don't even touch someone that I'm romantically interested in. Again, what's right and wrong is it's wrong to cross that line. But the standard is set by Paul that you shouldn't even touch. I think what Paul is trying to say here is it's probably a good idea that the two of you are not touching in any way. Now, that's not Pastor Lejeune's standard. That's the Apostle Paul's standard. You all see that here? You see I'm not making this up. It's right here in your Bible. That's the Apostle Paul's standard. Am I, am I a bad guy for holding Apostle Paul's standard up high? I don't think I am. I think that's a good thing. Um, is kissing fornication? No. Is it fleeing fornication or is it flirting with fornication? It's flirting. It's flirting. Is being alone late at night with someone that you share a mutual physical attraction to fornication? It's, it's not, is it? But is it fleeing or is it flirting with fornication? How about this one? This happens to a lot of dating couples. Is sitting alone on a couch in a dark room with a blanket draped over the two of you while watching TV or movie, is that fornication? No. Is it fleeing fornication? No. No. You're not running from it. You're cozying up to it. You're cozying up to it. What is the point here? Again, we're talking about being pure. God wants your purity left intact. He wants your purity left intact. He wants you to take that purity to the wedding altar. And then He wants you to maintain it through the wedding altar. If, if a brother or sister in Christ uh, who you're dating will break the rules, please don't miss this. This is a very, very, very important part of the sermon. If a brother or sister in Christ will break the rules of the Bible with you, then don't you think that they could break the rules of the Bible when it comes to an affair after you're married? Is that unreasonable to say? If they're willing to, to, to ignore the Bible and fool around with you in the dark, in private, when no one's looking, how can you be certain they're not going to mess around on you after you get married? The old adage is, don't marry your mistress because if she'll cheat with you, she'll cheat on you. And the same is true here. If they'll break the Bible with you before you're married, who, who's to say they won't break the Bible uh, on you uh, after you're married, especially when they understand the Scripture? So uh, if they do not have the character to refrain from fornication uh, before they're married, then uh, they may not have the character to refrain from an affair after you've married them. So behave thyself. Be pure. Let her be. Be planned. Be planned. All right. First Corinthians seven. Look down at verse number nine. It says, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. So what's it say here? It's saying that if you're getting to the place where you're burning in your desire one to the other, 
get married. Don't burn. Don't, don't, don't burn up in your own desires. Marry each other. So the idea here is that you have a, you, you have a plan in place. You date with a purpose. Here Paul is saying that if you cannot contain, then you need to marry. If you're going to date someone then you, that you are attracted to, then you need to have a timeline in mind. Now, I talked about the car that transports a person from dating to marriage. All right, I want everyone to picture this with me, all right? Um, that car, when you climb in it with the other person, you're getting in a car that has no brakes, and it is going to begin to roll down a hill toward marriage. My advice is that if you're young, when I say young, I mean out of high school, but barely out of high school, that you put that dating car on a slope that's very slow. You're still emotionally developing. Uh, I believe it's 25 that the brain is completely developed. So you're not, your brain's not even totally developed until you turn 25. I know you think you know everything at 19. Trust me, you don't. The older I get, the more dumb I realize I am. Every day I wake up and I go, oh, man, the world of what I don't know is so large. But at 19, I didn't think that way. So that car has no brakes. You begin to roll down a hill. And you've got to, you've got to plan the speed of your dating relationship based on getting to the marriage altar with your purity intact. Once the touching begins, it's not going to stop. I've never seen a dating couple who was touching stop. Now, I'm not saying it hasn't ever happened, but it's rare. It's very, very, very rare. You start holding hands, that's going to lead to to hugs, that's going to lead to kissing, that's going to lead to fondling, that's going to lead to finding... Uh, a dark corner somewhere where you can get away with all kinds of things and you think, well, the pastor doesn't know, my parents don't know. God knows. God knows. And here's what I see happen with couples. They don't plan this out. Some couples have enough character to not mess up. So what do they do? They're not ready emotionally to get married and physically they're a lot further along than they are emotionally. So they bail out of a moving dating car and emotionally they get scuffed up over and over and over again because they don't want to break the the rules of the Bible. They want to keep that purity intact, but they know they're not ready to get married and so they can't stop themselves in the advancement of the physical action. So they bail out of the car. They bail out of the car. And to that, I'd say you've got to make sure that emotionally you're planning this out. And as you draw closer to each other spiritually and all these other ways, that it's done in a way that's planned. Now, let me also say on this topic of planning that you should not just plan the speed of your dating relationship. You should plan who you date. Who you date. Now, the Bible tells us that we're not to uh, uh, be with those. We're not to be unequally yoked. Right. Here's what I see happen. Some girl looks at some boy and say, well, he claims to be saved. Some boy looks at some girl and says, well, yeah, 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 she's saved. But she doesn't go to a church that has a similar philosophy than you. Or maybe they go to the same church, but they're in a different part of their spiritual walk than you. The two of you are not on the same field spiritually. What are you doing with each other? 
And I, I gotta say that not only does a, a saved person have not, should have nothing to do with a lost person, but a saved Christian who's bearing fruit should not get with a saved person who's not bearing fruit. And you need to pick someone and date someone who, uh, uh, has, a, shares a passion for God and the Bible, excuse me, the way you do. Here's what I have also noticed is that you are attracted to someone that you are like. You are attracted to someone you're like. If you're willing to date them, then deep, deep down inside, you may, you may be better at playing church and Christian than they are, but deep down inside, you are just like the person you're attracted to. And I've seen people ruin and hurt their lives in so many ways because they're willing to date the next person that comes along because they're desperate and they're playing with fire and they end up getting burned. So not only should you plan the speed of your dating and plan who you date, but let me just speak uh, uh, to the men here. You should, uh, and, and to you men that have children or training your boys, you should uh, plan plan the actual date. Plan the actual date. And this isn't, okay, let me just time out here, okay? This part isn't in the Bible. This is just good life advice. All right. If you don't like it, you can chuck it out on its head. Make sure I say that. All the rest of that so far, I believe, has been biblical. This is not in the Bible. This is just good practical advice. I'm going to hit it quick and move on. Okay. Um, I have found uh, someone gave me this advice prior to me dating my my wife, um, and I got to say it was great advice. I have found that when you date, if all you ever do is get a bite to eat and watch a movie and sit on the couch and stare in each other's eyes. You don't make a lot of memories that way. Right? I, one of the things that disgusted me about my college experience, I mean, I, I want to literally throw up when I start thinking about it, were the dating couches in college. You'd get these couples, and they'd sit on the couch, right, something like this. I'd bring Angela up and have her do it with me, but she wouldn't do it. And uh, they get, the rule at college where I went was the daylight rule. They didn't have a six-inch rule. As long as you could see some sort of space between the two of them, you were allowed to be that close. And they would get this far away from each other's faces, and they would just... It was horrible. It was horrible! And uh, and those of you over here that couldn't see, it's okay. Trust me, you didn't miss much. You don't make any memories that way. Plan your dates. Have a plan on your date. And... Um, a funny story about that, I was going to go on a date with Angela. It was one of our first dates, and I had a three-by-five card, and I'm writing down, you know, the schedule of when we're going to do what we're going to do. And my, my roommate, who is much more cooler than me, he said, I sure hope you're not going to pull that out on your date. That, that's, like, super nerdy. Don't do that, right? Memorize it and follow that, but don't, don't pull the card out and say, next, we're going to go do this. Um, that's, that's not smart. So I was glad he told me that because that, that probably saved uh, my marriage or m- the prospect of my marriage. So, um, but here's what I would say is that um, take the young lady on as many activities as quickly as possible. Because you, then you're building memories based on the activities and time spent, not just based on worthless conversations of sitting around and, and talking about nothing. Though That's not something that you can emotionally hang your hat on. So if you have money, well, the possibilities for dates are endless, okay? There's mini golf, bowling, you can go to a shooting range, there's uh, 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 lots of restaurants, depending on how much money you have. You can take a cooking class together, you can take a pottery making class together, you can go 
to a museum or out art gallery. Uh, you can go to a musical opera or of sorts. You can do a food truck tour together. And here's my favorite one. You can volunteer at the church. Glory, hallelujah. What a great date. All right. Show up on a Saturday morning and go invite bus kids to church. Uh, and I mean that. That's a great thing to do as a, as a dating couple, a Christian dating couple. If you don't have a whole lot of money, there's no room for an excuse. There's still lots of activities out there. You can go hiking. You can collect fall leaves. You can go on a picnic uh, in the park. You can have a game night with another couple. Try geocaching. I don't even know what that is, but it sounded cool, so I put it in my notes. Um, You can uh, test drive your dream cars. Now, that's one I wish I had done. I'd take my wife, my girlfriend, I'd take her to the Tesla dealer, and I would get in there and say, I want to drive this car. Now, I'm never going to buy it, but hey, why not get in there and... And go for a ride, right? And then drive over to her dealership and we can drive a Beamer together, right? So um, just don't crash it. You get yourself in trouble that way. But test drive your dream cars. That's a good free date. You can set up a, a, an old school video game night. Get an old Nintendo system and, and uh, go back and, and, and uh, play Duck Hunt. Or that, what was the game with a mat? And you ran on the mat? That, that's a great, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, plan a scavenger hunt. I'm going to throw a quick story in here. I went to, when I was dating Angela, I want to show you what kind of a romantic I am, all right? You ready for this? When I was dating Angela, I went to an antique store, and I got these beautiful earrings. Now, i got to say, I had no idea what I was looking for. It was the luckiest buy of my life, okay? But these beautiful antique earrings, and she lost them. But anyway, I'm not better. Maybe a little. Um, And uh, I... uh, I, uh, boxed them up, and I hid them in a really good spot uh, on the college campus, and I planted all these clues around the college, and I created a scavenger hunt for her to go on by herself, and at the end, she found the earrings, and I was the hero. Ah, you see that? And uh, that, was, uh, that was a lot of fun, uh, uh, watching her go around and uncover the clues. I think at each clue, she got another little gift, and it led to that one. And, um, and I didn't pay my school bill the next month because I bought the earrings. But, hey, we had a good time. We made a memory. Uh, but uh, you can plan a scavenger hunt. You can do a photo scavenger hunt together where you come up with a list of weird oddball things and you go do, uh, take those pictures together. There are a lot of ways that you can have fun without just sitting on the couch and watching a movie and tempting yourself with sin. Build those memories together and grow in the Lord. By the way, go to church together and, and, and grow in the Lord together and read your Bible together. And, and learn to pray together and pray for each other and pray for each other's needs and, and grow together spiritually and emotionally as you're going to date each other. Letter C, notice, be prudent. Be prudent. Um, and, and I want to just kind of drive home the point about being pure uh, with this thought of being prudent. Let me read some verses for you here. Listen to these. Jeremiah 17:9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? Do you know that if you're going to rely on your heart to get you from dating to the wedding altar pure, you're not going to make it. Because your heart is deceitful. And it will tell you that you're going to make it. You're not going to make it. Um, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says this. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. So, Dad, let me just talk to you for a minute. All the dads and moms in here. If I can't trust my own heart 
and by trusting in myself, I make myself a fool, then how, how idiotic is it of me to then trust my son and my daughter on a date? Let me just say this right now. There will be no teenage boy taking my teenage daughter out alone. That's not going to happen. Over my dead body. Amen? Um, it's not going to happen. We'll get into the teenage dating thing here in a minute. You know why? I can't trust myself. I've got blocks on my own devices and on the TV in my home that prevent me from being able to look at whatever I want to look at and keep me accountable. My wife can open up an app on her phone and she can see where I am at all times. And and she can uh, call me and find out who I'm with at all times. And if I have a conversation with a woman one-on-one or I counsel someone uh, one-on-one and I don't counsel women alone, and, and, and when I do, there's a staff man sitting right out the door that's able to peer in through the glass. But after that conversation, I recount the whole thing to my wife because I don't trust me. If I don't trust me, How am I going to trust my children? And to those of you here that are dating age, how are you going to trust yourself alone with someone that you have a physical attraction to late at night? Or even on the phone with late at night to not do things and say things that are sinful. Let me read for you here Galatians 6, 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If you're going to sow to the flesh, and you're going to sow sin to the flesh, it's going to bring corruption to your relationship, guaranteed. And one other verse here, 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearances of evil. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Let me just ask you this. If you pulled up, let's say that you were not feeling well. And uh, you went to the pharmacy at one in the morning. And on your way back, you uh, got lost and you pulled into an empty parking lot. And you saw a young couple at one in the morning sitting in a car in that empty parking lot alone. What are you thinking that they're doing? Now, what in the world would a Christian boy be doing with a Christian girl at one in the morning? I'll just say this. There's very little good that happens after 11 o'clock at night. Go home and go to bed. Just go home and go to bed. You need to avoid the appearance of evil. You need to protect yourself. Put those barriers of standards up that protect that purity. How do you do that? You do that by being prudent. All right, let me speak to the parents tonight. Number four, notice rules, uh, parental rules for teenagers. Parental rules for teenagers. Please, 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 those of you that have children tonight, please don't miss what I'm about to say. I'm going to give you three rules that the Lejeunes are going to follow with our kids and teach them uh, here very soon uh, when they get past the cootie stage. They're still in the cootie stage. But when they get past that stage, we're going to drive these three rules home and make sure they understand them. The first parental rule for teenagers is no titles. Letter A, no titles. No titles. Now, uh, a title strongly implies ownership. I hope you understand that. That's... My girlfriend. Or a girl would say, that's my boyfriend. That that teenage boy is saying about your teenage daughter, she's mine. She's my girlfriend. Um, that teenage uh, 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 girl is saying about your teenage son, she's he's my boyfriend. No, no, no. He doesn't own you. He doesn't own you. My son and daughter, they belong to the Lord first. And they belong to Angela and I second. And they belong to a teenage boy or girl never. Never. 
Um, I do not want some mangy 15-year-old boy claiming my teenage daughter is his. I just don't want that. Um, also, titles, when broken, conflict much pain. I, I watched my friends as they had their boyfriends and their girlfriends. I, I didn't do that. Um, my parents didn't even dictate that. I just uh, had heard teaching on this as a young man and, and made that decision myself. Uh, part, that was part of it. The other part was I was too ugly to get a girlfriend, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you all know Angela just got her eyes fixed, right? I just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay. Um, I think that the habitual broken titles in the teen years do a lot to aid to the divorce process today. Here's, watch this. Here's the pattern. Again, not in the Bible, but chucked with common sense, all right? You have um, interested, dating, discontent, look for another partner, break up. Interested, dating, uh, uh, discontent, look for another partner, break up. Interested, dating, discontent, look for another partner, break up. And it's okay when it's just boyfriend, girlfriend, because they're not breaking any of the biblical laws. But what happens when they get into a marriage and they get discontent? What's the habit that's been established since they were 12? Well, I'm going to start looking for another partner. Now, where did that begin? That began back when they were 12. It's best they don't put titles. Now, I'll also add here that to, to, to think that your children are not going to have a crush, you are living in a world that's just not realistic. If your child at 14 does not have a crush on someone else ever, then you, you, need, you have a problem on your hands. And don't ever, when your child comes to you and says, I've got a crush on this uh, girl or this boy, don't ever look at him and say, what's wrong with you, you sinner? I've seen Christian parents do it. That's normal. By the way, those crushes, that's why the world is still populated today. And so we want that. That's healthy. Uh, anymore, when I see a teenage boy or girl holding hands in the mall, I'm like, well, at least it's the you know, opposite genders. Um, and and uh, I'm thankful for that. But um, uh, you, 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 we, we need to make sure that we're careful in this area. And I would strongly encourage you, do not let your child put a title. If he tells you, your, your son tells you he's interested in a girl, that's great. You can talk to her. You can like her. You can be interested in her. Do not call her your girlfriend. She's not allowed to call you boyfriend and the other way around. The second rule, no touching. No touching. Now, Touching means different things depending on the gender. When a teenage girl is touched by a boy, I have no idea what that does to that young lady because I isn't one. All right. But I am told that she feels a sense of security. She feels a sense of security. Again, I don't know. That's just what I've been told. However, I can tell you what a teenage boy feels. A teenage boy, when he touches a girl, a flame is lit. And everybody here that's male that can remember back to their teen days, they know I'm telling the truth. There is a flame that is lit in the chest. And that flame asks for more touching and more touching and more touching and more touching. When a teenage boy, I got to tell you, when a teenage boy is going through puberty and his hormones are strong, 14, 15, 16 years old, uh, he can sit close to a girl in church and just have their arms touch, and he is going bonkers. I'm just telling you. You say, that is weird. Yeah, well, it's how God created us. And it's not animalistic. It's, it's 
It's, it's nature, and it's what God designed. And again, it's what keeps, uh, that flame keeps the world populated. But teenage boys do not need to be touching teenage girls because teenage boys that touch a teenage girl, they're gonna want more, and they're gonna find a shadow. They're gonna find some place where no one's looking so that they can touch more and more and more. And we live in a day and time where, uh, uh, dads are not doing their job and loving their daughters, and so a teenage girl is looking for that fulfillment of love and acceptance by a boy and she'll find it in any guy who is willing to give it to her even though it means she's got to give up things from herself that she ought not give up because she's so desperate and hungry for that male attention and so you need to have a firm rule in your home not only are you are we not going to put titles there's not going to be any touching letter c no alone time this is the last point of the sermon here no alone time or no exclusivity to tell teenagers they are not allowed to have a crush um, on a boy or girl is insane and unrealistic. I hope that you develop with your teenagers an open relationship where they tell you what they when they like someone and you can talk to them about that. That is healthy. That is good that those lines of communication are open. If your teenager wants to spend time with that person, then make sure that they do that in a group. And I would encourage them to go on teen activities at our church together. Why? Because sin thrives in the shadows. Sin thrives in the shadows. If you've got a habitual sin or a besetting sin in your life, you're doing it in the shadows where others can't see you. So if you want to get rid of besetting sin, stomp out the shadows. You do that through accountability. So no alone time. No alone time. By the way, that used to mean... Physically together, but now with cell phones and FaceTime and video calls and social media platforms and, and all that, there are so many more ways that your teenager can find alone time uh, with the other uh, person. No alone time. No alone time. Why? You're trying to protect their developing heart and mind to be totally pure and ready for one day when they, when they marry. So, uh, uh, no alone time, uh, uh, we've got to make sure we protect that. So what rules are good for teenagers? No titles, no touching, no alone time. A great, great way to protect your teenager's purity that gives them room to have a crush and even talk to a girl or a guy of the opposite gender and even spend time in their presence communicating with them, but you are setting barriers to protect their heart uh, uh, for marriage one day. Now, let me just finish with this. Marriage that lasts a lifetime, they're built on the foundation of purity and trust. Purity and trust. Men, what has God commanded us to do for our wives? What are we supposed to do? First and foremost, we are to what? Love our wives. Women, you are commanded to honor and reverence, respect your husbands. All right? Let me just make a, a, a solid point here. We'll close. If you married the right way, then it is easier. If you married on purity and trust, it is easier for men to love their wives on a deeper level than if they didn't. And women, if you date and marry the right way, it is so much easier to respect and honor your husband because you trust him. You trust him. Now, some of you here tonight, you, you, you come into the service and you're not pure. You've given up that purity. Whether you're married or not, you say, well, pastor, what do I do? Well, you can begin being pure today. You can begin being pure today. If you have not been pure with your spouse, 
You've been impure, whether that is pornography or an affair. You need to tell your spouse. You need to confess that. That might break their heart, but you need to get that out in the open. And you need to uh, come with a humble heart and get that right. If you've been dating the wrong way, you've been putting your hands all over each other. You've been kissing. You've been uh, uh, allowing sin to thrive in the shadow, uh, uh, shadows, uh, maybe even sleeping together. I would say this, that the two of you probably need to break up for a time, get your hearts right. And then if it's God's will for the two of you to get back together at another time when you're both committed to purity, if you really believe it's God's will, then get together and do it the right way. But be pure, date pure, marry pure and remain pure. And whether or not you have been pure to this point, you can begin to choose purity beginning right now, beginning tonight. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. sermon tonight was quite different than the average sermon, but I think a very needed and helpful sermon for, for our next generation and then even for those here that are uh, in, in the dating mindset. And I would just say this, uh, will you tonight commit, whether you're married, single, or raising children, uh, and or raising children, will you commit tonight to begin to instill and teach purity, not only in your own heart, but to the next generation? Oh, it is so important that we have a church full of people who will elevate purity in such a filthy, contaminated, impure world. Marriages that last a lifetime. I don't want my children divorced five years in a marriage, ten years in a marriage. I, I want to teach them purity on such a level that when they, they see someone that's impure, they're able to identify that right away and avoid, avoid great heartbreak. We have... We have our churches filled with people that are impure. We're, 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 not, we're not being honest with the Lord and with our spouses. And, and we're sinning against our own bodies that are temples of the Holy Ghost. Shame on us. Shame on us. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And, and you're sinning against the Holy Spirit when you, when you commit fornication or you commit adultery. Or even lust. Shame on us. And I hope tonight that we'll commit to purity and commit to raise the next generation for purity. In a moment, when we have the invitation, those of you that come forward, listen, this isn't about you confessing some impurity. For some of you, it may be coming forward and saying, Lord, I am already pure. Help me to stay pure. Lord, I, I, I am dating the right way. Help me to continue to date the right way. Or uh, those of you that have a sin that needs to be confessed, you're welcome to come and confess that as well. But let's not judge others who would, who would take a step out of the altar and and uh, out of the uh, out of the pew and, and come to the altar and pray. Let's uh, let's lift one another up in prayer and let's pray that God gives us a pure church. Lord, I ask tonight that you would help us to be a church that uh, upholds, lifts high purity, not only in in, pri- in public but also in our private lives. And God, you know where each one of us would struggle with that. And so, Lord, help us to confess it and get it right in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. Maybe some of you husbands and wives can come and kneel together and ask that God give you wisdom to raise your children to be pure. Some of you young folks can come and pray and ask God to help you to be pure. Let's commit to purity.